Okay, this is something I have to tell myself a lot, but it's don't let perfectionism paralyze you. I feel like a lot of times you feel like you can't start the Etsy page, you can't like name your podcast unless it's perfect, and yeah, like obviously you want it to be good, but like a lot of times that perfectionism, for me at least, can like really paralyze me and stop me from doing it ever. Welcome to the Founders Couch. This is a show about Stanford student founders and their intrepid journeys of starting their own thing. I'm your host, Katherine Jang. I hope all of y'all have been absolutely wonderful because I've got an incredible show planned for you. Today, we'll be talking to Stephanie New. Stephanie is a senior here at Stanford studying symbolic systems. She is the founder of a soap business called Skindulgences, where she makes and sells food-based handmade soap. She also creates podcasts and is currently working on one about human and animal migration in Australia. Now, I couldn't be more excited to dive into this and learn about the fascinating world of soap making and selling and how Stephanie came to found Skindulgences. So let's get Stephanie on the couch. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining me on the couch today. Yeah, my pleasure. So I'm going to start off by asking, how are you doing? How's your life? Right now? Yeah, at this moment. It's good. At 10.14 a.m. on a Friday morning. I've had a weird week. I've been thinking a lot about, like, what I'm doing post-graduation because of this week. Like, yesterday there was an event for, like, finding housing off campus for grad students, and then, like, a finding a career as a writer. There's, like, a bunch of events that work sort of, like, post-grad life-based, so I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, but it's been good. Yeah. That's good to hear. <laughs> uh, so I've given listeners a rundown of what Skindulgences is, is all about, but if you could explain in your own words what the soap company represents. Yeah, so Skindulgences is a brand of soap, and it's mostly food-based and food-inspired. Um, and it's based on the idea that like a lot of food has actual curative powers that are good for your skin, um, and that taking care of yourself should feel as important as like feeding your body. So what was the inspiration behind using food? Oh, well, the f- like the literal first soap I ever made was in a cinnamon oatmeal bar. Um, and it also like smelled really good. And so I, I kind of found online that like oatmeal and cinnamon are really good exfoliants and they're good for your skin in a lot of ways. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, and I feel like that's something, I don't know, like my grandma and my par- and like my mom have always told me is like, oh, eat this food if you like don't want to have a nosebleed like Mm. eat this to do this it's sort of like choosing foods in order to like heal yourself and I kind of like that idea um yeah so I liked working with foods in my soap yeah uh what's been your favorite soap that you've ever made in in the past few years of running Skindulgences I want to like tell you about more than one soap feel free to (laughs) is the dessert bar which is like the first one just because it was like the OG and like I just really like how it smells and the way it feels when it comes out of the silicone mold is actually really nice. Like, the surface is really glossy, and it's just, like, really fun to pop out of it. Mm. Um, another one I kind of like is a coal soap I made for the holidays, which is, like, has actual activated charcoal in it, but it's, like, I cut it up so it looks like a lump of coal, and it comes in, like, a little bag, and you can just, like, give your friends coal for Christmas. Mm. And I, like, I gave that to my brother just because that's, like, our relationship, so... Right, it's, yeah. like, a hate-love <laughs> sort of relationship. Exactly. Yeah, I like that one. This was, you said, sophomore year of college, or was it freshman yeah, year of college? Yeah, beginning of sophomore year. So you knew you you love soaps, and you love food, and you love the idea of putting food into soaps. What made you take that next step to making an actual business and an actual thing? 
I think it was really just encouragement on social media. Like, I posted photos of my soap, and then two friends commented and were like, oh, where can I buy these? Or, like, are these for sale? And I don't know. I think that was really cool. And also, the first batch of supplies was, like, kind of expensive because you have nothing. So you have to get, like, the molds, like, the fragrance oils, all of that stuff. Um, so my idea wasn't necessarily, like... I'm gonna start a business it was just like well maybe if I sell what I make I can like keep buying soap supplies and not go broke Mm. yeah because you spoke about like wanting to break even so that was sort of the goal yeah yeah what about like the process of making the soaps so I know you know making them here on the row is like a lot more difficult than making them at home like what's that process like yeah um the type of soap making I do is called uh melt and pour which I have a friend who makes fun of me for it, but it's basically you take, um, like, an existing soap base, and you cut it up, and you melt it down, and then you add, like, um, colorants, uh, fragrances, other add-ins, like the food-based things, um, and then you just, like, pour them into a mold, and then after a few hours, it's dried, and you just pop it out. The main, like, method of making soap from scratch is different. It's called cold process, and you take, like, um, some sort of fat, like, some sort of animal fat, and then a base, and you blend them together, and then they actually, like, react and produce a different... Um, like substance and then that has to you like pour it into a mold it's kind of more the consistency of like jello-y like a thicker liquid Um, and then that has to set for like four to six weeks before it's even a pH that you can use and that's like a much more involved process a messier process and one that takes more time and like I really want to do that uh, once I have like my own apartment or own kitchen but as a college student melt and pour is just a lot easier yeah what are like the biggest challenges through that process like is it um you know melting the soap or is it popping the thing out I think it's actually like the cleanup like in between each I don't know when you're cutting soap like it gets kind of like all over your hands and like my hands are always super clean after I make soap because I'm just like washing them again and again but it's kind of annoying like I'm on the inside room of a two-room double and so like you go through like three doors to get to the bathroom to wash your hands then you have to do that like a lot of times and then like washing the dried soap off of all the products Mm -hmm. so it's not like a glamorous part of the process but I think it is the kind of like annoying part at the end Mm -hmm. yeah and how did you learn about this process did you like look up YouTube videos articles or did you sort of talk to people who've made soaps before yeah it was all kind of online so there is this website called craft gawker which is kind of like a Pinterest for craft how-to's and the first how-to that like was soap based that I saw was like how to make oatmeal raisin soap and so it was like take soap add oatmeal add raisins and I was like oh that's so easy Mm -hmm. and like maybe that was part of the food-based inspiration as well Mm -hmm. um craft gawker yeah and then uh, there's this website where I ordered my supplies from called brambleberry and it's like the person who owns it also has a youtube account called like soap queen (laughs) wow which is really funny and she makes a lot of tutorials that are like using the products that they sell and it's um, there's a lot of just like online blog posts about like how to how to use different things and different techniques so that's about actually a great resource for me got it yeah and when you're walking around, you know, in your normal everyday life, do you ever, like, when you're eating something, like, think, this could be a great inspiration for my next soap? I kind of. I had a friend at Wilbur Brunch one day be like, we, like, we had flax in our oatmeal, and he was like, oh, you should make a flax soap. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. And I looked it up, and flax is, like, a good exfoliant for your skin as well. So I made, like, a maple flax one with actually the flax from like Wilbur Brunch. Oh my god. Wait, <laughs> like, really? Put some in a bowl. Yeah. <laughs> that's so Maybe funny. that's not good, but <laughs> No, I'm sure it's fine. I remember seeing it on your Instagram somewhere. Um it was like a boba soap or something. Yeah. Tell me about the inspiration behind that one. Oh, that was one of the first ones. I think I was like 
I know that, like, I know how the Bay feels about boba, and so I'm just going to make a boba soap because I feel like it's a niche that needs to be filled. <laughs> um, there are instructions for making boba soaps right now, but they're, like, with actual boba, which I'm not, or some of them are. I'm not sure how that, like, actual, how that, what that becomes when it's in soap. Um, but I make my boba pearls out of, like, a different type of soap. So it's a honey base, and then I have this little, like, ball mold. So you, you like, pop out these little balls of the soap, um, and then you, like, layer them at the bottom and then pour, like, the milk tea sort of, like, it's actually a goat's milk base on top. Um, and then I have a clear soap that I, like, cut really small so it looks like ice cubes. Um, the thing about that, it's, like, time-intensive because my mold only makes nine, and one batch of boba soap is, like, 11. So it's kind of, like not yeah so mm-hmm. I kind of always have to ha- like make more than I actually need yeah got it that's cool um and in terms of your Etsy page right so uh, most of your orders you would say are through Etsy or through personal uh interactions it's about half and half I think actually slightly more through personal interaction interesting yeah and that was kind of a challenge for me to like track um track what I was earning and also like track which soaps were popular because Etsy offers some analytics but obviously that's like only for online sales Mm -hmm. um so a lot of this for me was like experimenting with um different ways of tracking like what I was earning and what people liked like combining both the online and the in-person sales got it and was the process of setting up the Etsy page would you say was pretty simple or was it more challenging it was pretty easy I think the main thing was just like choosing a name I kind of have mixed feelings about the name's condolences, honestly, because it's, like, it's so many syllables. But I think in the at the time, I was kind of in the mindset of, like, I just have to do it, and if I want to fix it later, I can. Yeah. Mm. And what was the inspiration behind skindulgences exactly? It was, I wanted to tap into the feeling of, like, indulgence, like, the self-care moment of it, but, like, uh, the food, like, I don't know, in a food sense. Like, you indulge in, like, a good treat or, like, a nice chocolate and mm-hmm. to have... Treat yourself. You yeah. Know, treat your skin. Sp- Exactly. So want skincare to feel the same way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and how did you figure out the pricing of each soap? Because I know at the beginning you sort of, you know, sold them, whatever, and you realize, you know, I want to actually break even. How did you figure out the price point that wouldn't be too expensive for customers, but also would be enough for you to actually, you know, break even? Yeah, I did this. I was very scrupulous about this, like, the very, very beginning, but I calculated roughly the cost of making soap by, like, with, like, the colors, the smells, like, all of that, and then also looked at similar products that are, like, handmade soaps on Etsy because a lot of the value is not the material but like the I guess the actual labor of doing it by hand mm-hmm. um, so that kind of helped me figure it out yeah. got it and how did you get this out to people so you said it's half and half right split between Etsy and personal interactions so how did the other half those personal interactions come to be like was it through Instagram friends it's mostly through my personal network so like a lot of my advertising is through my soap Instagram and then I'll share that on like my personal Facebook um that was something I struggled with a little bit when I was, like, getting a lot of sales, but it was all through my friends. I was like, this is really great, and, like, my friends are supporting me, but I also want to get orders from people, I like, that are strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what led me to do, like, the whole Instagram ambassador thing, which I can talk about more. Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, so basically, I, I decided to, like, reach out to certain people on Instagram who have slightly different social networks than me, but who I had connections to, um, to, like, promote the product. So you see a lot of Instagram, it's a, it's almost like a meme now, where you see, like, a really pretty person on Instagram who's like, oh, I use my code for, like, Squarespace. Um, but I actually had a friend who did, started a jewelry Etsy the same summer I started my soap thing, um, and she was like, oh, we're looking for ambassadors. And I was like, well, I know this girl, so maybe, maybe if I do it, I'll, like, see what it's kind of all about. 
and she had like a written contract and I think that was actually really helpful for me to get a sense of like what is that model Mm. Um, like what does the ambassador person gain from it what does the company gain from it yeah and so I I actually kind of liked that and it was something I wanted to try how did you approach your friend to ask like for advice in this round like did you were you like hey like she probably knew about your soap business already right the jewelry one yeah the jewelry girl uh i didn't really ask her for advice on the soap thing I, okay. at that point i had already like done the ambassador thing for her jewelry oh, and i, I was okay. like i like i like this model so i'll just use it for my soap uh-huh. yeah what are some of the ty- some of the different types of people that you reached out to on instagram um it was people it was basically people who like are not at stanford but who were like in my social network so one of them was um my closet etc who's like she runs like an online thrift thing yeah and she's like a really like kick-ass entrepreneur and her business is really awesome um and I think I was like it was I I tried to when I reach out to people make it personal be like this is why I think this is a good fit for you um so for her I know she was really into coffee and she actually had a post earlier about how to like make a coffee face scrub which kind of inspired one of my soaps which is like the coffee bar Mm. so I was like oh and I told her that story and then I was like yeah like I'll send you some soaps like if you want to promote it or like do things like that what about the other you know partnerships that you have like period glorious how did those come to be glorious was something that a friend actually referred me to and I think it was something I like looked into but currently isn't like an ongoing partnership um I don't know if it says couture for charity on there but that's another one I think I guess like the theme with the collaborations I try to do is like trying to support like female owned businesses um like my friend who does like the thrift reselling I think is really big about that and I it took me a while even to consider like me selling soaps on Etsy as like a female owned business but I feel like you do have power in the sense of like making a network with other female entrepreneurs um so period is basically like a student-run uh, menstrual activism organization it's like a non-profit and their their whole thing is like raising awareness of lack of period products um particularly for like homeless women and also uh like uh what's it called like disproportional taxing on period products in general um so they do a lot of like cool activism work um this is kind of i guess this is kind of a long story but i'm a really big advocate of like menstrual cups and especially for like um people who don't have access to or like the money to regularly buy period products um because they're reusable they last for like years and years and they're just like better for the environment um and so period i know is like a big proponent of menstrual cups for those reasons um but like there's a lot of menstrual washes that are like fragrance free oil free but they're really expensive it's like 15 dollars for a bottle and so like you can get a cup but like you don't have the thing to wash it with um and i realized that like a fragrance free oil free cleanser is just the same thing as like what i start with like a plain soap base so i like actually like got like a new menstrual cup and like used it as a mold (laughs) to make like a menstrual cup soap thing so that was something I was exploring with for some time was like making an affordable cleanser for menstrual cups as a way of like I don't know the shape is like okay this is what this is for like this is almost like an awareness thing but also just like offering a more affordable solution to people I my thought there was like potentially partnering with them and like getting more like cups as like molds and things like that Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of like on the back burner yeah yeah what are, like, if you could list two or three things that you've learned from this entire experience of skin indulgences, what would those two or three things be? I think a big one is remembering why I'm doing it. I think there have been times when it's gotten busy, when I was also busy, and where it was, like, 
really a chore to make the soaps when the entire reason I did this was because I just liked the act of making soap and I wanted it to be affordable. Um, yeah, so I don't, I think I'm, I was wary of myself, like, getting too into the idea of, like, profit or, like, creating this whole business brand and identity and losing track of, like, what I actually liked about it, which was making the soap. Mm. Um, the other thing is, like, yeah, like, working with people. I think, for me, at least, a lot of times when I had cool ideas, I felt very protective of them or felt like it didn't count unless it was, like, me by myself doing something, but mm -hmm. reaching out to, like, my friends who also own businesses and, like, having my friends refer me to, like, the contacts, like, Glorious was, like, realizing that a lot of people, like, want to support me and that's, like, the best way for me to grow is to just, like, work with other people and not silo myself. Yeah, no, that's so true. It's, like, being, like, selective with your partnerships, but also really intentional yeah. um, about who you end up choosing to partner with. Mm -hmm, exactly. It's really interesting. Uh, so I know, you know, you mentioned... Um, in our previous meeting that you do podcasting and you're currently working on something right now. Yes. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm not sure where to start in the story. I got a Beagle grant from Stanford, which is um, like an undergraduate research grant that's for a journey of discovery, like loosely defined. Um, it's called the Beagle because it's uh, the Beagle 2 grant. And it's named after the ship that Darwin sailed on when he was like 22, the HMS Beagle. Um, and it's the idea that like having a journey of discovery as an undergrad is like really good for the rest of your career and like your intellectual vitality, lol. Um, yeah, so I did that and I was, I took last um, fall quarter off to go to Australia and to like collect interviews and do research for this podcast. Um, so that was my proposal like for the grant. I was on this place called Christmas Island for two months and then in Melbourne for like three weeks. Um, and I was just like collecting interviews, yeah, for the podcast. Um, should I say what it's about? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the podcast is, so Christmas Island has something called the red crab migration. The red crab is only found on Christmas Island. Every October or November, they migrate like down from the jungles to the sea and they like mate and then they lay their eggs there and they come back. It's part of their life cycle. And it's this huge wave of red that like washes over the island and it stops cars it reroutes traffic it's really kind of like this huge natural phenomenon um christmas island so like at first i was really drawn to the island because of that i was interested in like animal migrations mm -hmm. but i'm not a biologist and so i wanted to look at the migration in conversation with something else um and i found out that the island actually is the site of an immigration detention center for asylum seekers so it's mostly boat bound asylum seekers who are coming from indonesia on their way to Australia, and Christmas Island is the only thing they encounter in their way. Um, so a lot of asylum seekers coming into Australia are detained there. Um, and I, I don't know, I've, I think I felt like the irony in this and like wanted to compare how this crab migration is like valued and protected um, and given such a high status, whereas the humans who are trying to migrate through the island are it's the opposite of helping their migration. They're sort of like forced into stillness and like detained for years and years. Hmm. And are you still currently working on it right now? And, like, what, what point of the process are you at right now? Yes, I am. I was collecting interviews while I was there. Um, this quarter I've been scripting and, like, writing the actual audio, like, the actual podcast script, and I am, like, editing the audio now. I'm, my goal is to, like, have it out by beginning of spring. Okay. Yeah. And how long do you think the podcast will end up being? The goal is 20 minutes, so, okay. like, hopefully no more, which yeah. is, like, short, but... Why did you choose that duration? I didn't... Well, I kind of did. <laughs> I applied with it being, like, 30 minutes, and then when I was there, I was like, okay, I'm going to do, like, a five-part episode. There's, like, so much stuff here. And then I came back, and my podcast mentor, Jake, was like, 
make it 20 minutes. Like, it's not for the sake of concision, it's for the sake of clarity. Like, you don't need that much room to say what you're going to say. If it's shorter, it will be clearer. Mm, that's a good point for any podcast, like this yeah. one. <laughs> um, okay, so now I want to move on to the fire round. Okay. Um, and so basically, I'm going to be firing at you a couple quick questions, and I want you to sort of, you know, respond really quickly um, for each one. So first one is, most memorable experience at Stanford so far? Oh, okay, I struggled with this. Um, can I say something that's off can happened off sure, campus? Sure, yeah. Definitely, like, actually seeing the crab migration. Because okay. when I went, it was the dry season, and they don't migrate until the wet season. And they were like, they're not going to migrate until January this year. And I was like, this is the reason I'm here for two months, is to see it. Yeah. But then the rain came early this year. And so, like, towards the end of my stay in Christmas Island, I got to see the migration. What was that like? It was really crazy. It, it lasts, like, a week, them going down to the sea. Um, and it was they put up these fences on the side of the road so the crabs don't actually enter the road. And so the crabs really just like collect there and then move along the fence. Um, yeah, it was crazy. There's this other type of crab called the robber crab that eats red crabs and they're nocturnal, but they come out during the day only during the migration because it's like a cornucopia for them. They just yeah, like, I bet. stock down There's all the so red crabs. There's so much to eat, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite class at Stanford and why? Um... English 192, okay, Leventhal Tutorial. So I did this thing, do you know what the Leventhal Tutorial is? I have is? no idea what that is. Okay, it's a program through the creative writing department, and it's basically like a one-on-one -on -one mentorship um, where they pair like a Stegner fellow in a, a field of creative writing with a student. And so I did it for poetry, and it was just like two hours of like individual like mentorship and feedback on my poems from like a real poet. And I feel like I grew a lot, and it was like, yeah, a really good source of like mentorship and growth for me. Hmm, yeah. Awesome. Closest mentor at Stanford and how you met them. Okay, this answer is actually my Leventhal, like my Stegner fellow. Yeah, her name's Esther. She's great. I'm actually meeting with her later today. Okay, that's But it cool. was the Stegner fellow who was paired with me for poetry. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, like I was like emailing her updates while I was in Christmas Island and stuff. Like I feel like our relationship definitely has extended beyond just my tutorial. Oh, yeah, for sure. And those are the best ones, the ones that extend beyond something. Yeah. Favorite place to do work on campus? I really like the bookstore cafe. They have 50 cent drip coffee if you bring your own oh, mug. No one knows that. Yeah, go upstairs of the bookstore. It's great. Okay, go. good to know. <laughs> Favorite activity to de-stress on campus? I was thinking about this, and I was like, I feel like this is so predictable, but it's just watching YouTube. Like, I really like cooking Honestly, I videos. Feel that. Yeah, like night routine videos, mm -hmm. all of it. What are some of the top, uh, top category of... YouTube videos that you watch? I, I kind of go in phases. Like, okay, sometimes my recommended will all be cooking. <laughs> I think it's like, okay, here are the different categories. Cooking, um, like clips from nature documentaries, thrift hauls, or like how to style thrifted clothes, or like scenes from movies. Love yeah. that. Very diverse. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty much all I watch. Yeah, that's funny. Most impactful summer internship and why? The most impactful, I think, is actually not an internship. I... Um, worked at this organization called GACO, which is like a nonprofit in like education nonprofit, and they, the they basically design a summer camp from scratch every year for high school students in Japan, and so it was in Japan for like the summer, and it was this process of like how to design experiences. Um, I think it was really cool because a lot of the people I was with weren't tech people. It was mm. like architects and actors and like cinematographers. And being with people and, like, hear, like seeing how their minds worked was really cool. And I think it helped me to, like, identify my creative interests early on in my college career. And that was really mm. helpful. Also, they're, like, looking for applications or, like, applicants. So I don't know if people who are listening know me or are interested <laughs> how to, like, <laughs> yeah. 
What year did you um, do this? This was between freshman and sophomore year. Oh, wow. I was also like, I think looking back, I was too young. Like I can now look back and recognize things I did where I was like, yikes, I was like not mature enough. Um, the average age when I did it was like 24. So mm. yeah. Wow. So I noticed like, this is kind of a side note question away from the fire round real quick, because I really want to point this out. But so you're a Simpsons major, right? But you've also got a lot of these creative endeavors. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think those two meld together? I think one particular field that actually captures them is, like, digital humanities. I think Simpsons, like, Simpsons is a really inter- interdisciplinary major, um, but I feel like my interests that are outside of my major, like, my creative ones, are actually, like, quite separate. Like, I think Simpsons is, pulls from, like, a diversity of, like, scientific fields and also has, like, the philosophy and the humanities. Um, I think being at Stanford, I've, like, really grown an interest in, like, actually, like, the arts, like, poetry, um, so digital humanities is really great because it's people who are fascinated by, like, humanities questions, um, but you answer them through, like, digital methods, so it's people who know how to code and do, like, NLP, mm-hmm. but you're really interested in things like, um, like, analyzing poetry over time, or, like, looking at, like, movements of people, or, like, mapping, and so being interested in people-related questions, but using digital techniques to answer them. Mm-hmm. And what's been your most... You mentioned, like, this English um, sort of tutorial as your favorite yeah. class. What's been your most favorite technical class at Stanford? Ooh. I I don't know. I really enjoyed 124. I feel like... I've heard good things. Yeah. I feel like even, like, the structure of the class with, like, chunk, like, small bite-sized modules was really nice. And, like, Dan Drasky, like, loves the material, obviously. And, like, yeah, the class is just, like, really enjoyable, both in, like, the content and the structure. Awesome. So back to the fire round real quick. So, okay. um... One piece of advice you'd give for students on campus who might want to start something, and that can be anything, like a soap business, their own podcast, whatever. <laughs> yeah, specifically those two. Yeah. Um, don't, okay, this is something I have to tell myself a lot, but it's don't let perfectionism paralyze you. I feel like a lot of times you feel like you can't start the Etsy page, you can't like name your podcast unless it's perfect, and yeah, like obviously you want it to be good, but like a lot of times that perfectionism for me at least can like really paralyze me and stop me from doing it ever. And so, yeah, that's kind of why like I have the name Skindolences, which like maybe could be better, but like I just wanted to get no, it. I out think there. it's great. Um, although I guess it has been like a long time and I could have changed it by now. <laughs> yeah. But I guess in deep down, you're like, I still love it, which is why I haven't changed yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really do connect with the perfectionism thing, like for anything, like just put it out there and let people hear it and just. See how it goes. Yeah, yeah exactly. 100%. Where do you see Skindulgences going, and what are the next steps for Stephanie New? <laughs> I think I just want to start making soap again. I haven't done it for a long time because I was abroad, and so my spring quarter is hopefully going to be a lot more chill, and so I'm excited to just, like, dust off my, like, old molds and everything and, like, actually just go back to making it. Um, yeah, I think maybe... I think kind of on the point of, like, remembering why I'm doing it, it might be nice for me to just make the soap and focus less on the business for a little bit and, like, make sure I know why I'm doing it, um, I think this might be a good time for me to do that. Mm. In terms of what's next, you mean, like, For you as a person, yeah. Um, I'm really excited about the whole Christmas Island Crab podcast thing. I think I'm excited to see, like, what, where else it could go. I also have a lot of interviews from Christmas Island that are not about either the crab migration or, like, the Asylum Seeker Detention Center. Um, so I kind of want to just do more about Christmas Island. Mm, um, it's really a unique place with, like, a lot of history there. And a lot of history and forms that are, like, 
disappearing like a lot of physical memorials that are being weathered over time and like also oral history with an aging population that's like getting older um yeah I really want to go back actually like I think my dream would be to go back for like a year and like do some sort of like digital history project yeah wow that's so cool well thank you so much uh Stephanie for joining me on the couch today it's been such a good time thanks for having me this has been great It was awesome to have Stephanie on the couch. I can't wait to see where she goes with Skindulgences and her podcasting. You can check out her soap company on Instagram at Skindulgences. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. I hope y'all enjoyed it. If you've got any feedback, suggestions, questions, or any existential thoughts, write to me at cj98 at stanford.edu. Lastly, wherever you are listening, Spotify, iTunes, etc., make sure to subscribe. Next week, we've got a great episode. And let me tell you, I could not be more excited. I'll be talking to senior Michelle Liu and GSB student Hiro Tien. Make sure to tune in to hear all about their journey of founding their startup, Viral Space. I'm Catherine Jang, and you've been listening to The Founder's Couch. See y'all next week!